0: This is the International Education Marketing Podcast, a roundup of news stories and how they might impact marketing and recruiting for the international education sector. Welcome to episode 81 of the International Education Marketing and Recruiting Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Chatham, and our contributors today are...
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Jelena Szymanski, a second semester IEM student.
2: And I'm Soleil Terrell. I'm in my third and final semester in the TESOL program, which is teaching uh, English as a second language.
0: Great. Thank you both for being here, uh, Soleil and Jelena. I appreciate it. Jelena, why don't you start us off off with the news that you wanted to share this week?
1: Sure. So the article I found to share this week is uh, something from NBC News called uh, Brown University becomes the first Ivy League school to add official caste protections. Um so basically this article talks about how on December 4th, Brown University officially added caste protections to the non-discrimination policy. But um I'm kind of my god. <laughs> um so they talked about how they added these official this official protection and acknowledgement and their caste um Oh my god, I'm already like blah blah, blah. Here I'll pause. <laughs> so this article talks about how Brown University recently added caste protection to the non-discrimination policy. And this is kind of like a major way to acknowledge some of uh forms of discrimination that the South Asian community on American campuses can uh, can face. Um, Brown University is not the first school to do this in the U.S. I believe the California State uh, University system has officially also officially added these protections to the non-discrimination policy. So something I wonder as we like moving forward in international student recruiting is how if more and more schools have these type of, uh, I guess, um, additions to the non-discrimination policy, how will this will affect recruiting for international students, especially in South Asia? Um, well, like will they actually highlight these features and like when they're recruiting students from South Asia? And then also I wonder because a lot of international students tend to be from very elite and privileged backgrounds. And if you're facing caste discrimination, you're likely not from a higher social economic status. So I wonder will there be more of an attempt to diversify and have a more nuanced understanding of who we're recruiting abroad internationally, not just the wealthiest, like students, but also like we're also reaching our uh, students who are not from a privileged background where we go to these other countries for recruiting.
0: Great, thanks for bringing that up, Jelena. This is a really timely article, and it makes me start to. To have questions about our marketing partnerships, where we have representatives in country uh, on our behalf. So maybe we'll get to talk about that on the other side. Soleil, what news did you want to share this week?
2: Well, first, I want to say I was really excited to see Juliana's article, like what it was about, because a couple of years ago, I actually heard on NPR, they had a whole segment about this, because it is like a such a specific type of discrimination that the language we had at the time wasn't sufficient for students who were, you know, going through this. So it's really cool that they acknowledge the importance of that. Um, As far as my article. um, So the article that I posted was about, I believe the program was called the skill future program, which is um, it's part it's run by the Singaporean government. And the whole idea of this program is to provide, uh, they call it continuing education. I don't like that word. I feel like it's a bit condescending. So I called it skill-based education. Um, and so that's where they're taking, uh, jobs that they know have like the most sought after and the, um, just sought after in terms of how many uh, jobs they have open. And then another goal that they have is to make sure that they're teaching skills that uh, transfer well across different jobs and industries. And so uh, some of what they listed is like sustainability jobs, IT jobs, and caregiving jobs. And what I found in an article that was linked in my article was that this is A part of a bigger effort by the Singaporean government to um, basically change the stigma in Singapore that is around uh, academic work or what we would generalize as like white collar work uh, versus um, blue collar work or um, just, you know, jobs that don't require a degree. And uh, because the pay gap is so large. And the deputy prime minister actually came out and did a speech that was talking about uh, the importance of recognizing these workers and giving them the opportunity to be promoted in these jobs. Because what happens in these uh, blue collar jobs is people are often pigeonholed, so they're not giving they're not given any opportunity to grow and really feel like a sense of fulfillment in those jobs. Um, so I thought that was a really cool way to acknowledge the fact that um, structured education now is really moving towards uh, career application. Um, So uh, in that country, the government is doing that through their program, but in the United States, we typically see that in like vocational schools or community colleges. Um, But I do think it's something that four-year universities should be also um, being aware of, like becoming aware of, or doing a better job of keeping statistics on career and all of that kind of stuff. Because that's what people go to four years for too, right? Is to make sure that they can get a job after. So I thought that was really interesting.
0: You mean people don't go to college to find themselves?
2: Well, and it's funny that you say that because and I've thought about this for a really long time. But if you think about how universities started, at least in the United States, like for a very long time, you either were going to become a doctor or a lawyer or your family was rich or both. Right. So these people weren't going to get a job. So you had all the time in the world to pontificate and be philosophers and just learn knowledge for knowledge sake. But like as it's become more accessible and more expensive you know like people are starting to question the worth of these um of this education and so the purpose of university is changing but i don't know that universities are acknowledging that or if they're changing with that
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. sure sure makes sense um let's let's step back for a second and talk about these together and uh, you know these these aren't the same subjects, and there's not a lot of alignment or connection at the surface level between them. But I'm wondering if you see any similarities, or if you see something between these two articles um, that the maybe is a sign of a larger issue or larger trend.
2: Well, I was thinking when Jelena was talking that there, as you're having more international students, those cultural not cultural differences, but whatever discrimination, right. Looks like in those cultures is it's good that universities are recognizing that because it's also adding additional protection. Even if that form of discrimination, isn't something that's common to us or the people around us. So I thought that was cool. Mm
0: -hmm. I wonder also about uh, with Jelena's article, I wonder also about the financial aid implications. Uh, If, as as was asserted earlier, if people who are subjected to caste discrimination come from a lower socioeconomic uh, profile, if there needs to be an even implementation of an anti-discrimination policy, not just on an admissions point of view. And it wasn't this article wasn't necessarily in the admissions perspective. But if you also apply it to an admissions policy and then don't also apply it to the financial aid policy, if there could still be challenges for folks to to enjoy the education opportunities that they might be qualified for.
1: Yeah, something I was thinking about when I read this article is like international students are often seen as like like a source of like revenue for university. Like a lot of money comes from international students because they typically pay the full price or even more than the full price to attend the school. But like, like especially in the US, when we're recruiting students, we're trying to reach students from more diverse social economic backgrounds mm-hmm. and have more equity with like admissions. But like, I wonder how is that going to work for international students if they're kind of just seen as this like like money generation of like how are you going to reach the students that aren't from that super elite wealthy background abroad because not all students are like that and aren't they don't they they also have valuable perspectives and like knowledge they can bring to American campuses so I wonder like how do you help financially support students who may not be from that elite background that international students typically come from.
0: That's a good point. And I also think in in a specific case like PhD, uh, PhD programs where a, if, if we're speaking with a very general comment, um, if, there has been any caste-based discrimination in the system so far. Then, the people that are faculty members in from the same cultures potentially could be from the uh, from a certain caste that might, in a different context, also be a participant in that discrimination. So we have have the potential here to think about employ employment discrimination and admissions discrimination, but there's sort of a hybrid where in the, in the very personal experience of a PhD program, those faculty members who are making admissions decisions are also committing sometimes themselves to be mentors over a long period of time to students. And so that may be a slower change. If if there is caste discrimination, getting rid of it in that context may actually be a generational thing where some of those faculty members may need to actually retire before a new wave of people who are are not accustomed to that discrimination are in positions of decision-making power. And
1: also something that I was thinking about reading this is because caste discrimination is very much an experience that is not centered on like whiteness and like American, like it's not a white experience that I wonder how schools and higher education institutions are going to go about educating the faculty and students about this issue. And then also kind of like how they're going to go about like checking it if like an incident does come up, especially because especially at, like, predominantly white institutions. So, like, I wonder how they'll actually, like, they can add, like, I'm really happy they added this to the non-discrimination policy, but I wonder how they're going to go about, like, upholding it and implementing it, especially because, like, like, it is very much within these, like, South Asian, like, communities. And if, like, you're, like, an outsider who is not a South Asian, like, how how is this going to work?
2: And that makes sense, too, because when I was listening to that NPR piece about this, they were it was in the context of people going to HR and having complaints, but there was nothing on the books for them to like use. And so this could be this could be implemented from the point of like conflict resolution. But like you said, are they going to take the extra step to include that in admissions? And My question, which I try not to be a cynical person, but this is my question, right? So, and you alluded to, I mean, you basically said it where it's like, are universities even going to want to like put their resources into bringing those students, right? Like if they are being looked at as money bags, are these uh, South Asians, for instance, from a lower um, socioeconomic status, do the universities? actually want them to come you know like is is much effort going to be placed in them coming i guess would be my
0: question yeah I, i i think that's a loaded question because in the admissions decision making space i would say it would be quite limited amount of insight that a traditional university or degree program would have about the different caste layers the different elements of the caste system so to them, it may actually be invisible in most cases. Only, I think, in cases where there is a much higher level of cultural awareness and perhaps personal experience in that space, would there be the, the likelihood or even the potential of, of influence from caste-based uh, points of view coming into the admissions decision but it's not, un, it's not unthinkable because there are a lot of folks that are involved with uh, program design, program uh, directors. There are a lot of uh, deans or a lot of department chairs or a lot of academics that come out of, uh, out of, out of societies yeah. where there are caste considerations.
1: Mm. I also think kind of related to the caste system is like, I feel like, when recruiting like international students, I feel like it's better to view, have a more nuanced understanding of identity, and like, cause like even like outside of the caste system, there's other cultures that also have different hierarchy like hierarchies and like class stratification, that like Americans or white Americans might not be aware of. And they're going to bring these different identities that maybe American institutions aren't thinking of that can impact their experiences. And like students will bring these identities with them. So, like even like I feel like moving forward, maybe in the future universities would just have this acknowledgement of the caste system in the non-discrimination policy. But maybe depending on like your student population of like what the majority of your international students are, there can be or more can like more specific forms of discrimination like acknowledge in these policies. Cause like like for example, maybe you have lots of like Chinese international students and in those different ethnic groups and different classes that maybe Americans are aware of or that can affect your interactions with the adult students from like a Chinese background. So I wonder if in the future the some universities maybe they won't mention the caste system, but depending on those student population, They'll kind of acknowledge other forms of like identity based discrimination that Americans are probably are aware because it might not affect them in their daily lives.
2: That reminds me of something that I learned. Uh, so I studied Latin American studies in my undergrad and I took a uh, Spanish for business class, which don't ask me to speak Spanish. But yes, I took that class. And this is, of course, a generalization. But one thing that I learned in that class is that in uh, Latin America, the hierarchy is kind of unquestionable you know like you're you're not there's no negotiation between you and your boss right you just do what they say and um it's also a lot harder to go from I guess how we say in the U.S. like rags to riches like the uh, upper mobility is a lot more difficult and so that could be uh, similar to what you're saying, where even if you're coming from a culture that has like rigid hierarchy, how are you training or how are you interacting with these uh, workers or managers to uh, communicate? Like that's okay that that's where you came from, and there's you know nothing wrong with that. But this is how we process this here at this institution. Um, so yeah.
0: The rags to riches comment makes me also think about your article, Soleil. The focus on uh, on skill development programs and um, it may not be appropriate to to consider them as trade programs, but uh, in some contexts, that's maybe how we would refer to them. But I'm wondering if that opens up new marketing opportunities for universities to think beyond the traditional degree. And certificates and things like that. uh, Or if it's going to be some other kind of organization that puts together those, those, a portfolio of those educational opportunities.
2: Well, I know here in the US, um, what we uh, like community colleges, vocational schools, uh, they take on the similar task of like what the Singaporean government was trying to do. So we don't typically see government programs doing that here in the United States. Um, But I definitely think that goes back to what I was saying about like university shifting. Um, Because like, for instance, the community college that I'm doing for my marketing plan, the only program that didn't see like a sharp drop in enrollment was the program were the programs that they had that were skill based. Um, And so I do think that that population, even here in the United States, needs to be respected more because vocational schools or vocational training has either been at a community college or these are typically the populations that get targeted for for for-profit colleges, which is an issue of equity um, as well, because normally these colleges are a scam, Um, And so by bringing them into the mainstream in terms of four years in community colleges, you're not just changing perception of the students, but you're also bringing them in to regulate properly. So, you know what you're getting and what you're paying for or what you're paying for is what you're getting.
0: Good point. Well, these have been very interesting articles. Uh, any uh, last comments before we wrap up we're just about out of time all right well thank you both for for enlightening us about this news and also for your interpretation of it i'm I quite enjoyed the conversation and i'm glad you were here thank you thank you